You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Uh, welcome back to the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, presented to you by Belly Up Sports on WWSRN. You can always download the Worldwide Sports Network app for your favorite Android or WWSRN on iOS. And we are back here today, like we are every single Thursday and Friday from 12 o'clock to 1.30, talking about the upcoming week matchup previews today of course talking about the early window of games we got the Thursday night game tonight we have the early one o'clock games on Sunday of course I'm on the east coast so it's one o'clock for me and we have also some news that we have to talk about before we even dive into the Thursday night game we were this close we were this close to having an episode where we didn't have to kick off the show with the now today in COVID news but of course we had no such luck Of course, the uh, Raiders, if you have not heard by now, Trent Brown, he tested positive for COVID-19. He was sent home. The entire offensive line was sent home. uh, And I believe Jonathan Abram, actually, the safety for them, was also sent home. What they are doing right now is they are doing contact tracing. They're trying to figure out exactly who he's in contact with. They didn't send the whole team home. So this is the first instance we had where an organization did not just completely close down the facility. They're still trying to see exactly how this contact tracing can work, if it can work effectively, where not everybody, not the entire team, has to leave the facility. We'll see. I prefer leaving the facility entirely because it gives you that sense of assurance. It gives you caution. I think it helps deny the spread everywhere because you don't know where it went to. You're still doing the contact tracing as we speak, so you don't have all the variables, all the facts of where these guys were, who they were around with, and everything like that. I think out of precaution, they should be just shutting down the facility, but that's neither here nor there, nor is it my call to make because this is a fantasy football show. The offensive line is not there, but everybody else on the team is practicing. The offensive line will be going through uh, their virtual meeting today. We'll have to wait and see. This is something, of course, that will be developing all throughout the weekend. I will say this as of right now, being how the NFL has handled these situations over the past few weeks, I'm not overly concerned with the idea that the Raiders game uh, will be moved or canceled. So that's the good news there. other news, we have we had a lot of roster moves all of a sudden that got broken out uh, earlier today. Yannick, defensive end from Minnesota, formerly defensive end from Jacksonville, is now getting traded to the Baltimore Ravens for a third and a fifth round pick. If you thought the Minnesota Vikings were bad on defense before, how about now? Now, I know he's been troublesome in run defense, but without Yannick, who's out there giving them a pass rush right now? Because they are so banged up in that front seven. I don't know if they can get a pass rush at the moment, so... Minnesota Vikings, for fantasy football purposes at least, are just going to continue to be absolute gold for everybody in your lineup whenever you have the Minnesota Vikings coming out in your schedule. On the flip side of that, the risk get richer in Baltimore. That front seven, their pass rush, their run defense is ridiculous. So when you get the Minnesota Vikings or gold, you get a nightmare in what's going to be a Baltimore Ravens matchup. Whether you have a running back, a wide receiver, it doesn't really matter. Uh, It's just not going to be a matchup that you want to necessarily have to see on paper, especially if you have a guy who's not a who's not a top receiver one or a top running back one, and they're just matchup proof. It's going to have to be something you take into consideration because it's it's just 
it's just ridiculous. That front seven is going to be so aggressive, going to be able to get after it so much. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch if you're into defense, but for fantasy football purposes, it's going to be a nightmare whenever you have to play the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens were still in the news. They were just making transactions all over the place in their bye week. They come out today, uh, really just a few minutes before we hopped on this show, and said that they are actually going to sign Des Bryant to the practice squad, or they expect to sign Des Bryant to the practice squad after his workout. They already did work him out in August, though, so it was probably just to see, are you still in shape? And it looked like they're going to sign him. I thought it was very interesting because... I thought Antonio Brown fit them more. Now, there's been a lot of Antonio Brown news coming out over the past week, right? We had yesterday that came out and said multiple teams are interested in signing Antonio Brown. I thought the Ravens would be one of those teams, along with the Seattle Seahawks being the obvious one, because they seem to be the ones who are in the most pursuit for him before. Uh, the Patriots would be another team that I think make a lot of sense for an Antonio Brown, given their wide receiver woes and the fact that he was there before he got suspended as well. But... The Ravens made a lot of sense to me, right? His, you know, his nephew or whatever is 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 already on the team in Hollywood Brown. They still need really another wide receiver that they can trust to go to outside of Marquise Brown, outside of Mark Andrews, because Miles Boykin, he's an okay player, but he's nothing special. He provides them an extra bigger body on the perimeter who can block, maybe a red zone threat. Devin Duvernay, I do like where he is headed. He's not quite a guy who can play, I think, every single snap at the wide receiver position just yet. He's still kind of developing. I do like his skill set, though, but he's just a guy that you kind of throw in there to try to make a big play off of. I think they needed, especially the way Lamar Jackson has played so far this season, I think they needed another reliable target to be able to go to. I don't know or see how Des Bryant would be that target. So from a fantasy football perspective, Des, this is pretty much non-news to me because I'm not picking up Des Bryant, and I don't think it really does much for Lamar Jackson. Maybe it gives him an extra red zone threat, but they already don't have many issues in there because you have Lamar, you have the running game, and you have Mark Andrews who's very efficient in that category. So getting Des Bryant just didn't make a lot of sense to me. This looked like a guy who was pretty much done before he left the league a couple years ago. Now at this point, when he's on the New Orleans Saints and he got injured and never really got a chance to play, I don't know what he has left, but I can tell you that I'm pretty confident in saying that Antonio Brown has a heck of a lot more left than a Des Bryant does in this situation. So that's kind of why I found this whole thing uh, relatively surprising that they would actually go in that direction. But that's the way it looks like they're going to go. So that's getting you guys caught up on the news there. And I think that pretty much does it for the outside, uh, the preview matchup news that we have for you guys. Of course, when we go through this, we have the injuries that we're going to talk about. We're going to have you know our fantasy football expectations throughout the week. We also make sure you're following us at BellyUpMDFFShow on social media because we'll keep you up to date on those player news update notifications. And of course, you're listening to us on your favorite streaming app after the show, but always on WWSRN Live. Let's dive into our first matchup. Let's dive into the Thursday night game. So we finally have one, right? And actually, I want to talk about that a little bit before we get too much into the minutiae. Last week, we didn't have a Thursday night game. And there, there felt like there was something missing. I talked about it on Friday. It just it felt like a vacancy in the middle of my week. But then we had Monday. We had the doubleheader. And I got to tell you, the doubleheader on Monday is much more exciting, a much higher quality than getting a Thursday night game. That's the thing about the Thursday night games. They're never high-quality games. It's more about, you know, are guys able to play fundamental football? Are guys able to be healthy enough and not be banged up enough, not be too sore to actually be able to perform at a high level to give you a decent quality of game when you're looking to play? 
That's more what it's about. So I actually like the idea of like, you know what? You want to give us extra football? Fine. Give us a doubleheader on a Monday rather than giving us a Thursday night game. I mean, if you do the math, it's if you even gave us a Tuesday night game instead of a Thursday night game, even that would be better because you still get more days between Tuesday and Sunday than you do between Sunday and Thursday. They need these extra days off to give you the higher quality of play that we all know and love in the NFL. And from a fantasy standpoint, it's very hit or miss on Thursday night. Very hit or miss. Sometimes because guys are not really game planning for those Thursday night games, they're just kind of sticking to what they do, keeping it very vanilla, keeping it very fundamental, read and react on defense, keeping their offense within somewhat of the same game plan that they used from the week before so they don't have to come up with a whole new strategy. It, it's hit or miss where sometimes you get a really high scoring game because defenses just aren't adapted, aren't ready for it. Or sometimes it goes the other way where offenses just can't get on the same page and everyone's just a little sore, a little tired. You give me a Monday night, a Tuesday night game on Sundays, you get better quality of play. Just front load it. That's my opinion. I know most people are more of the of the idea of like, no, give me football as much as you can give me throughout the week. I completely disagree with that. I think football is best when it is spaced out throughout the week. If you start giving me games every single week, you're going to start losing viewership because not everybody's going to be around to watch it every single week. That's just kind of how that's going to work. But that was kind of my tirade that I wanted to get on when it came to observing this past week and getting the doubleheader on Monday, not having the Thursday night game. But we know the NFL. The NFL is about making money. And the money that they can make the most off of is having these Thursday night games right now. Maybe Monday doubleheaders will become more of a thing outside of just week one that they have every single year. But then again, maybe not. Right now, the TV deals that they have for the Thursday night football games are going to... The fantasy football perspective, the fantasy football analysis, starting with the Thursday night matchup between the Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. And believe it or not, I actually feel as though there is more fantasy football value heading into this game than I think most people would recognize. I mean, we look at it right here. We start on the Giants side of the ball. Devonta Freeman, he doesn't have a great matchup, right? He, he comes into week for us for RB27. We don't really love it. Obviously, Fletcher Cox is still playing. Obviously, the Giants' offensive line has still been horrendous, let's say, at best. Obviously, you know, he's not a great play to begin with, but because he's been getting the volume, you've been having to play him as a flex play. You've been having to play him as an RB2 bye week injury fill-in. At 27 on the week, I pretty much am telling you that I have him in the same category as any other week that you would for this. So you can play Freeman. I don't feel great about it. You have to temper your expectations. Unless he falls into the end zone, getting double-digit points is going to take all four quarters of him touching the football, which has happened to this point, but obviously not super excited. You may not have better options, though, because we're getting hit hard on buys again this week with four teams on by. Daniel Jones, I don't think I have to talk about Daniel Jones anymore at this point. I think finally everybody has come to my side of the aisle on Daniel Jones, which is he's not a trustworthy quarterback, and he's not a quarterback who possesses a special skill set. In fact, there's no difference between a Daniel Jones and a Mitchell Trubisky. None. Zero. They both. The only difference I will say is that Jones has a little bit of a stronger arm and a little bit more cojones because he's a little bit more willing to throw the deep ball, especially when it comes to Darius Slayton. 
That's it. That's the only difference between him and Mitchell Trubisky. That's it. Now, speaking of Darius Slayton, this is probably the guy that people want to know the most about, especially if you have any giant fantasy football players. We have him at wide receiver 27. You can still play him as a higher-end wide receiver 3. It does only take one play, but there's two reasons why I need to temper your expectations on what Darius Slayton could truly be this week. And both of those are because, one, you have... Darius Slay, who's going to be matchup on Darius Slayton. How awesome is that, though? The Slay Bowl, the Slay matchup, the Slay knockout, the Slay boxing match. I love all that. That's all fantastic. But you have those two matchup on each other heading into this game. Okay. On top of that, you have Darius Slayton, who was clearly hindered by that foot injury last Sunday. Clearly was. Two catches, 41 yards. He happens to catch the touchdown. But the second he caught that touchdown is when I realized how banged up, how injured this guy truly was. There was no doubt about it. He came off. He didn't celebrate. He didn't sit there and say, ooh, look at this. I got a touchdown, no touchdown dance whatsoever. He didn't even look that happy about it. Because as soon as he caught the ball, this guy did a 180, and I thought he was about to run off into the locker room. He looked hindered that entire game. And frankly, that's why he didn't have you know, a bigger performance. That's why he only had two catches for 41 yards. He should have been able to take advantage of that on a much higher rate, but just was unable to do so. I worry about Darius Slayton in a Thursday game against Darius Slay. You have to temper your expectations. Is he in that category of can you play him as your flex, as your wide receiver three? Sure. If I can find another option, if I can avoid it, I probably would because you have to recognize there's going to be a low floor that comes with Darius Slayton this week as a result of that. There's going to be a low floor. As far as anybody else in the Giants, one interesting note is that Sterling Shepard might be activated before the game tonight. Now, he still actually technically has not been activated from IR, which has led me to believe that he's not going to play tonight. But they are talking about this morning that they may activate him right before the game. They may allow him to play in this one. We'll see. Either way, he doesn't really do anything for you from a fantasy football standpoint. He doesn't boost Daniel Jones. You're not going to be playing him in this matchup either. So we'll see exactly what's able to happen there. Evan Ingram. He comes in at tight end 22 for us. Look, first of all, the Philadelphia Eagles are not a great matchup against the tight ends, even though that's kind of what their reputation was to start the season. And the reason for that is because they had Tyler Higby go off on them for three touchdowns. Outside of that, tight ends really haven't been able to produce that much against the Philadelphia Eagles defense so far. Really hasn't been a thing. And Evan Ingram has been a major disappointment. I mean, this is a guy that we all talk about. as like, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be good. But no one wanted to draft him because no one expected him to be healthy. He hasn't even gotten hurt yet. And yet, I can't get him inside the top 10. I can't get him inside the top 15 this week. I believe there's a lot of better streaming options for you out there if you're looking for a streaming tight end, where I would not play Evan Ingram this week. Not at all. It's really kind of sad to see, quite frankly. So other than Darius Slayton and Devonta Freeman, if you have to, I don't know if I'm playing another New York Giant in this matchup from a fantasy football standpoint. Now we flip over the Philadelphia Eagles side of the ball. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a... 
enigma in fantasy football right now because it doesn't look good. He hasn't played well. If you're looking at it from a football standpoint, this has not been a guy that you have wanted to lean on. However, because the last few weeks, and I talked about this, because the last few weeks he has been using his legs to make moves, he has been using his legs to try to get going again, he has made himself fantasy relevant. He has made himself a top 10 quarterback. Now, you like the matchup. Deshaun Jackson is going to be back and playing today. That's the good news there. I don't know what else you would have to be. I don't know what else you have to have in order to play Carson Wentz. If you can't play him against the New York Giants with Deshaun Jackson back, with Travis Fulgham proving that he can at least be a nice fill-in until some of these weapons come back, Zach Ertz wasn't a thing anyway. There's no Miles Sanders tonight, so they're going to have to lean even more so on the passing game because even if Boston Scott's starting running back, you have him more as a pass-catching weapon out of the backfield than you do as an actual runner. That's something I want to comment on real quick, too. I'm going to be very curious to see how much time Corey Clement gets this week. I'm going to be very curious to see how much time he gets this week. Because I think there's there's a chance here that while Boston Scott might be the starter, they may give Corey Clement the good amount of carry work. They may give him the third and shorts. They may give him the goal line work in this matchup. Because Boston Scott hasn't been very impressive this year. Even earlier on in the year when Miles Sanders was missing a few games, he hasn't done he didn't do much then. It didn't look very good. Now I'm not saying Corey Clement's a special talent or anything like that. Don't get me twisted. But what I am saying is that he's probably a little bit better between the tackles right now than a Boston Scott is. You are gonna get Lane Johnson back, so that's at least some good news for the Philadelphia Eagles when it comes to their uh offensive front. But I know people are gonna be jumping at the chance to play Boston Scott this week. And we do have him at RB23, so I do have him at the low-end RB2 area as a spot play, of course, because of the Giants. But I'm not going into this game thinking that I'm going to get Miles Sanders-level production. I'm not going into this game thinking that I'm going to get necessarily 15 or more points in a half-point PPR league. I would be happy if I got out of here with 10 or more points with Boston Scott, to be frank. Because that's how unimpressive he has been. That's how unimpressive that offensive line has been. And that's the issue. The guy I do want to talk about of I have real interest in going into this matchup is Richard Rodgers. I got him at tight end eight coming into the week. I have him as a top 10 tight end, making him pretty much the top streaming tight end that you can go after this week. For instance, I would rather take the chance on Richard Rodgers being involved and falling into the end zone in today's matchup than playing Evan Ingram. I'd rather play Richard Rodgers. I'd rather take that chance. First of all, it can't get much worse than what we've seen out of Zach Ertz when it comes to separation, when it comes to in-zone work, getting past the line of scrimmage. It's been brutal out of Zach Ertz. Absolutely brutal. Richard Rodgers is an okay athlete. He's been around the league for a while. When thrust into a starting position, he has produced in the past the New York Giants. This is a team lacking red zone targets. I could see Richard Rodgers walking away with a touchdown in this game. And you've been streaming tight ends. That's what you've been looking for. That's what you've been looking for. So Richard Rodgers comes in a top 10 tight end. If he's somebody who's on your waiver wire and you've been streaming tight ends, pick him up, play him. Play him over in Evan Ingram. Next up that I want to talk about for this one, of course, is the wide receiver position, right? 
Sean Jackson comes back, you have Travis Fulgham. Here's the deal with Fulgham. You're, he's going to be matched up on Bradbury. Not that that completely scares me, but Bradbury has been playing pretty well to this point. Enough that because Deshaun Jackson is back, because Carson Wentz will have somebody else to actually throw the ball to, besides you know Greg Ward five yards past the line of scrimmage, I do wonder how many targets is he looking at. Is he looking at more like five or six instead of the seven and nine that he's seen over the past couple of weeks? I think Fulgham is still worth a play. He, I still have him as a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two coming into this matchup. But I would temper my expectations in that situation as well. Deshaun Jackson, you can't play him. You can't trust him with the first week coming back off the hamstring, hamstring injury. And before he went out, he wasn't very effective. He wasn't very involved to begin with. But he is somebody I'm keeping my eye on. Why? Well, if he does look healthy... And Carson Wentz does go back to his veteran wide receivers, maybe gives him five targets or so, let's say. They do have the Dallas Cowboys next week. So if he looks like he's going to be involved, he looks like he's explosive, if it looks like Carson Wentz is looking for him down the field again, he could be somebody that you want to watch this week to see if you want to play him next week. So that's where Deshaun Jackson is interesting to me, but you have to have some major cojones, or you have to be incredibly desperate to take the shot on Deshaun Jackson in tonight's game. Not saying it can't pan out for you because we all know Deshaun only takes two catches and he, he can bring you in a wide receiver one week. But you have to be super confident or in a super desperate situation to really take that chance because we didn't even see it earlier on this season when he was quote-unquote healthy. But I am going to watch it in case I can use him next week against the Dallas Cowboys. That wraps it up for this game. The one, the one quick thing I will mention is Alshon Jeffrey is definitely out the, the feeling is that he will be back next week. That Had this game been a Sunday game, they probably would have played him this week. But because it was Thursday, they want to give Alshon a little bit more reps and practice before he gets out there. So I do expect to see Alshon Jeffrey next week against the Dallas Cowboys. So let's move on to our first Sunday matchup that we had, our first 1 o'clock game, our first early window of games here on the East Coast, and that's the Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons. A fantasy football wet dream, frankly. You have Matthew Stafford. Hasn't been great, but I got him as a top five quarterback coming into this week. The Atlanta Falcons cure all ills when it comes to quarterbacks and fantasy football purposes. They just do. And it's not like Stafford doesn't have weapons. He's got Kenny Galladay. He has a, a uh, I want to say, a vampire uh, Marvin Jones. <laughs> it's beyond the dead at this point, but... Technically, he still should be a guy who can count on to catch touchdowns at some point. You have TJ Hawkinson, who we have as tight end two this week. That's right. I have TJ Hawkinson coming in as tight end two because of how the amount of touchdowns the Atlanta Falcons have given up to the tight end position and because of how much Stafford has been targeting TJ Hawkinson this season in the red zone. It hasn't been a thing of beauty between the 20s, but in the red zone, Hawkinson's being looked for. And in this matchup, I feel very confident about one, maybe two touchdowns, and I feel pretty confident about him being more involved between the 20s as well. I don't think this is a game with which the Lions are going to be able to do what they did last week, which was, you know, they ran the ball, I believe, 29 times between DeAndre Swift and Adrian Peterson. I don't believe they're going to be able to do the same thing again. Julio Jones is healthy. When Julio Jones is healthy, Matt Ryan plays well. We talked about this last week. 
When Matt Ryan plays well, the Atlanta offense plays well. When the Atlanta offense plays well in a matchup like this between Detroit and Atlanta, both have defenses known for collapsing pretty much all four quarters, but especially in the second half, what you get is a shootout game. What you get is a game in which you're not going to be able to stick with the run. It's going to have to be aggressive. It's going to have to be down the field. So you're playing pretty much everybody. I mean, I'm streaming Stafford as a top streaming option this week. Kenny Galladay is a top five wide receiver. TJ Hawkins is a top three tight end. The only question I think you have that everyone's trying to figure out is what do you do about DeAndre Swift and Adrian Peterson? I think in a weird way, you can play both. We have DeAndre Swift here ranked at 24. Of course, we're always talking about this from a half-point PPR standpoint. We have Adrian Peterson ranked at 31. So a low-end RB2 and a flex play, depending on what your bye week issues are. Adrian Peterson is still a guy who can fall into the end zone. Adrian Peterson still received 15 carries last week, even though he was by far the least efficient running back and does not get involved in the passing game. But I offered caution to you guys last week. Obviously, DeAndre Swift was on the waiver wire report, and he was 100% should have been a top pickup if he was available on your waivers. But I offered a word of caution. This game did not definitively signify DeAndre Swift taking over for Adrian Peterson. I want it to. I hope it does. I see no reason, especially in the Lions' standpoint, that DeAndre Swift should be working ahead of a should not be working ahead of Adrian Peterson at this point. There's no reason for it. You're a team playing for the future. You don't really have playoff aspirations. Adrian Peterson has been a nice player and he's aged more gracefully than I think anybody could ever imagine that he could. But Swift's the future. Swift can be a three down back because of his skill set. Do you want to give him 300 touches? Maybe not. Peterson can be the guy who spells him. Peterson can get eight carries maybe. Give him a break, give him a breather. Carry on Johnson coming and block for him once in a while. But there's really no reason DeAndre Swift should not be the lead guy here on out. Here's the problem. Matt Patricia is not a smart head coach. We've run into this issue before where logic does not always play out when it comes to these coaches, especially when you're trying to decipher and project fantasy football potential for some of these guys. Remember, Adrian Peterson still had one more carry than DeAndre Swift did last week. Even though the stat line was heavily in DeAndre Swift's favor. So Peterson's not just going to go away this week. Now, like I said, because of the bye weeks, because of the matchup, I think you can play DeAndre Swift with some confidence this week. I think at the very least, what I can feel good about is that he must have, must have earned his way into extra playing time. And they came out of the bye with the idea that DeAndre Swift was definitely going to get involved. But, again, like I said, they're not going to be in a situation to run 29 times between those two running backs. So what's the split going to be? It's probably going to be 15-8 as far as carries go. Who's that going to favor? I think that's the question that still has yet to be answered. I don't think you can confidently say that it's going to be DeAndre Swift. Now, at the very least, I expect him to be the passing down back. So maybe getting back to that five, six target range game that he was for the first couple of weeks of the season, which is why I think he gets a floor, which is why he comes in at an RB2. So I think he can play both. But this is something I'm definitely going to be watching this week because this week I think will give us some sort of indication as to what is true moving forward when it comes to Detroit Lions and their backfield. We move on to Atlanta side of the ball. It's a little more clear-cut on Atlanta. 
Julio Jones didn't practice yesterday. We're not worried about it. It's a veteran's day off. He looked completely healthy and explosive on Sunday. And from all indications, he did not have a setback. So as long as he didn't have a setback, I don't think you have much to worry about. So obviously, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones is playing. Great matchup. He's QB6 for us on the week. That should come as no surprise, especially after the way he played last week. Todd Gurley, RB18. That might even be a little bit too low, frankly, because this is a great match against Detroit Lions. Now, you saw a little bit what happened last week. He didn't score, so he didn't really give you the stat line that you were looking for. But we kind of know that about Todd Gurley. The good news about Todd Gurley is that I think except for two games now this season, he's scored in every single game. And this is no reason to think why he wouldn't be able to score again against the Detroit Lions in this one. And prior to last week, or even in last week's game, the last two weeks now, he's received work in the passing game, finally. He had five targets, I think, two weeks ago. I think he had four catches last week. So he's going to offer you a little bit. He has a little bit more of a base, a little bit more of a floor, especially when talking about half-point, full-point PPR leagues, heading into this match against the Detroit Lions. Brian Hill hasn't taken over. That hasn't been a thing that people were worried about a few weeks ago. So Todd Gurley, I play him as as a solid RB2, and if he gets into the end zone, there's a real chance he'll finish inside the top 10. Julio, top three receiver for us. Calvin Ridley, top six receiver for us. That should pretty much go without saying. Calvin Ridley was back at practice yesterday, so people who are worried about him being a little bit banged up, the fact that he practiced already on Wednesday is a pretty good indication that he should be fine come Sunday. Hayden Hurst, and that's a little bit more interesting. So kind of like Matt Ryan, he seems to play better when Julio Jones is in the lineup. I don't know if it's just less attention from the from the uh, offense or from the defense, I should say, or if it's just the fact that because Ryan plays better, everyone has a better chance to be able to do something. Here's what I'll say. He's had more of a floor than a lot of the other tight ends in that range because even when Julio has been out, this is a guy who's received around five targets on average almost every single week so far this season. Which, honestly, just that in and of itself gives the tight end a little bit more of a floor than a lot of others out there right now. He hasn't been scoring touchdowns at the clip that a lot of us were hoping for. I had him as a sleeper tight end coming into this year. He hasn't scored the clip that I thought he would come into. But he is definitely 100% a streaming option that you guys should be looking at for this week against the Detroit Lions in this matchup. I think there's absolutely no doubt about that. Now, we move on. We move on to the Browns, we move on to the Bengals, we move on to the game that went, what, 30, was it 35-31 in that Thursday night game? The game that Joe Burrow threw the ball 61 times, which was absolutely incredible. I don't expect that to, I don't expect to see that again this week, necessarily. But we do have a lot of fantasy implications in this game. We'll start off on the Browns side of the ball. The only thing really of note with Baker Mayfield is that he's playing with the hurt ribs, but he's going to be okay, he's practicing, he's going to play on Sunday. That's all you really need to know about Baker Mayfield because you're still not, even against the Bengals, he's just he's not a streaming quarterback. He's not a fantasy note. Kareem Hunt obviously comes in as a top 10 running back for us on the week. This is a great matchup. He's getting all the work. I think that, I think Kareem Hunt's actually been somewhat disappointing since Nick Chubb's been out. I think a lot of people are expecting him to be like a top five running back, for instance, in their production levels. Hasn't really happened at this point. Pretty good chance it happens this week and against this team. OBJ, this is probably the highest ranked I've had OBJ going into a week, I believe, because I have met 14. 
I don't think I've had him that high at any other point this season. He's been involved. He's looked good. Is a good matchup. You can play OBJ with confidence as a high-end wide receiver, too, when he gets matched up like this. I'm still subscribing to the theory that if you can sell OBJ high, and if he has a good week this week, which I, I think he will, if you can sell OBJ high, that's still your best course of action because the floor can get ripped out from under you at any given point, especially when you're depending on him to be an elite wide receiver too. You're not depending on him to be just a solid wide receiver too, to be a good wide receiver too. You're not depending on him to be a piece in your offense. You're depending on him because he's OBJ to be an elite wide receiver too. You're depending on him to be a guy to give you a mismatch, to give you a matchup advantage at a position that other people are not going to have. His floor is just too shaky for that. So if he has a good game against Cincinnati Bengals, which I think there's a decent chance that he does, take this opportunity to sell high because we're getting up on it. We're getting to week seven, guys. Most trade deadlines are somewhere between week 10 and week 12 in your fantasy football leagues. Most of them. Make sure you go ahead and if you haven't, check out your settings. You're going to want to know that. We're getting close to that point. So just something to kind of keep an eye on heading to this game. But if you have OBJ, you can go ahead and play him. Jarvis Landry continues to be somebody who comes outside the top wide receiver. There are 36 for us. So he's not even a guy that we talk about from a, you know, a wide receiver two or a flex standpoint. He's just not involved enough. There's some news about him coming out today that he's admitting that he has a broken rib and had a broken rib for the past couple of weeks and he's been playing very injured. I mean, that's pretty obvious, Jarvis, because he hasn't looked like Jarvis all season long. He doesn't look like the guy who's doing the real dirty work, getting open, catching the balls low getting in and out of his breaks with, with quickness and elusivity, giving him that separation. It's not happening. So it's not really surprising to hear that he's had this rib injury that was actually a broken rib injury, so it's much more severe than they had been letting on in the first place. It's not surprising to hear that. Jarvis Landry can be somebody that you just you can't play. And I get because of his name, you don't necessarily want to drop him, but there might be better options on your waiver wire at this point. We're not going to send him down to Fleshtown, but he's not somebody that you have to own either. A lot of people seem like they want to stream Austin Hooper this week, and I, I frankly, I don't really know why. He had one decent game where he looked like he was actually involved in the offense. Didn't score. One decent game where he actually looked like he was involved in the offense. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, Austin Hooper's back. No, he's not. You cannot trust Kevin Stefanski. You cannot trust Kevin Stefanski when it comes to the tight end position. He doesn't incorporate them into his passing offense enough. He just doesn't. So Hooper's been a massive disappointment, I know, but I don't look at last week and think that that's the turning point. There are other options I'd rather go after, like I talked about, like a Richard Rodgers, who should be very much available in your leagues. Cincinnati side of things, Joe Burrow, we got him at QB 16 this week. That puts him right at that streaming territory for a quarterback. He had a great game against them, obviously, the first time they played. I think there has been improvements to his game. I also think Cleveland Browns defense has played better since the beginning of the season as well, too. This game's in Cincinnati. So Burrow comes in. He's, he's a guy that you can stream if you want to, or if you had him and you've been happy with his production overall, he's somebody who can play, but he doesn't come into the top 12 quarterback for us. The guy that everyone's more interested in is Joe Mixon. Now, if he plays, and we, for the record, expect him to play, he is RB6 for us. He's an RB1. He's getting the volume. It hasn't been pretty. First of all, they played some tough run defense, and that's part of it. And it hasn't been pretty because that offensive line is absolutely terrible. But he's getting all the work. And that includes 
the passing down work that Giovanni Bernard was stealing from him in the first four weeks. They finally have gone to now, he's the, he's the full work bell back. And the good thing about the injury, not that it's good to be injured, but he got injured early on at third quarter. He came back in that game, finished it, and was not hindered as far as touches go for the rest of that game either. They had no problem feeding him the ball once he came back from the injury. Do I think it's a little weird that they're, for some reason, trying to be as mysterious as I've seen a team be when it comes to what should be deemed a minor foot injury for a running back? Yeah, it's a little weird. That, that in and of itself is what, make, is what making this as concerning as it is. But just because we can't go off of what they're telling us, we look at the facts, we look at the data, it shows us that Joe Mixon should be available this week. Obviously, we'll be put at ease if we see him in practice later on today or tomorrow. But Joe Mixon has a history of being able to play through injury and being able to play well. And the Cleveland Browns, while they, while they have been decent against the run, they've been decent against running backs, I think Joe Mixon is somebody who could have a good game because what's different between this game and when the last time they faced him is that Gene Bernard was still getting worked in on passing downs the last time they faced the Cleveland Browns. That hasn't been the case since then. So we expect because of the volume... Mixon should have a good chance to score. He should be able to come in and be a top 10 running back this week. I'm not going to worry about that too much. The wide receiver situation, I think, is a little bit more interesting. Now, you're going to play Tyler Boyd. He's wide receiver 18 for us. You can play T. Higgins as a top end wide receiver 3. He's wide receiver 26 for us. I don't think either one of those should shock anybody. A.J. Green's not in our top 36, but A.J. Green is somebody that, who we sent down to Flushtown a couple of weeks ago, I think should be rostered. What we saw last week on film, and I went back and watched this game on Game Pass, interested me a lot. It interested me a lot because it looked as though A.J. Green, T. Higgins switched roles in the offense. For the first five weeks of the season, A.J. Green had been the deep threat guy. He'd been the guy going on the field. That's who they want to stretch the field with. That's why he was leading the league in air yards, even though it wasn't amounting to anything. He was playing essentially the Brandon Cooks role, right? Because we're talking about Zach Taylor coming from that Sean McVay system so people can get a better visual. He was playing the Brandon Cooks role. While T. Higgins was playing the Robert Woods role. And, of course, Tyler Boyd's always going to be like that Cooper Cup type. Well, they switched. A.J. Green played the Robert Woods role. T. Higgins played the Brandon Cooks role. And it worked out really well last week. I don't see why they would mess with that. I don't see why they wouldn't keep with that. So A.J. Green, while he's not somebody that I'm necessarily going to jump out to play this week, he is somebody that I want to pick up because they have a nice matchup next week against the Tennessee Titans. And if he's going to get that volume that you saw a week ago where he had eight catches for 96 yards, if he's going to run those type of patterns, I think those are the patterns that he's just more suited to run at this point in his career. Well, all of a sudden, he could be a wide receiver three-floor option for you and because he's A.J. Green and because of his stature, is a guy that is going to find the end zone eventually. Should be a red zone target at some point. So he's worth owning if you have the spot for it, if you think you're going to need a wide receiver next week especially. Want to see it this week. But if he continues to play that same role, which I just don't see why he wouldn't, A.J. Green becomes very interesting to me to pick up and own. Drew Sample is not a thing. I think everybody should realize that by now. I mean, the last time he had a good game was actually against the Cleveland Browns. I will mention that point. But he's just not a thing. Period. That whole clip of Joe Burrow's just going to target a tight end no matter who it is went out the window right after that Thursday night game was over. So 
if you're some reason you've been hanging around on Juice Sample, and I keep I keep singing not often, but I do see it get brought up from time to time. Oh, Sample's still a streaming tight end this week. No, no, he's not. He hasn't been involved since that Thursday night game. So what we're going to do real quick, we're going to take a quick break here, come back on the other side. We still have a lot more games to get to. And, of course, we still have the mailbag segment at the end of today's show. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. We will be right back after these messages on WWWSRN. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We are on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, if you're looking for it on iOS, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We've been talking about the early matchup window of games for Week 7, previewing all of that, getting your fantasy analysis out there for you. We talked about some news that's been outbreaking throughout the league about the Raiders setting their entire offensive line home, but the team is still practicing about Antonio Brown having multiple suitors, looking like the Seattle Seahawks might be the favorites to land that deal, about Des Bryant going to the Baltimore Ravens. But now... We have to continue on our preview matchup for the early window of games for Week 7, and we kicked that off coming out of the break with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans. Big Ben comes in as a streaming quarterback as well. Kind of the same territory that we were talking about with Joe Burrow. We have him at QB 15. He has his full plethora of weapons. Deontay Johnson practiced in full yesterday. He should be back, ready to go. We expect to have him. We have him as a top 20 wide receiver heading into this week. Because here's the thing about Deontay Johnson. When he's actually been on the field and able to play all four quarters, and I know it's been frustrating, and I know it's something that hasn't happened as much as it should have so far this season, he's been the number one target. He's been the number one target on an offense that has a lot of fantasy value, right? I mean, Chase Claypool has been something everyone's been clamoring about. James Conner has been a top 10 running back. Juju Smith-Schuster has been a disappointment, but he still had a few touchdowns. This is a a team with a lot of fantasy value. Deontay Johnson is the number one pass catcher on this team when he's actually out there healthy and playing for all four quarters. Now, I know that's been the trick, but the good good news is, if you want to look at it that way, is that the injuries he has had are not injuries that typically will linger on, meaning they're not soft tissue injuries. They're not things you worry about being so easily re-aggravated, meaning I think once he's able to get past this, which hopefully may be starting this week, and it's a good indication that he has uh, practiced in full yesterday. I think he's somebody who could stay healthy the rest of the year once he gets going. When he's been out there, he's looking at double-digit targets. They're looking for Deontay Johnson, not for Juju Smith-Schuster. And I was talking about somebody with this before, and I have a little bit of a theory of what's going on with Schuster right now. And it kind of goes hand-in-hand with why Deontay Johnson has become, in my mind, the number one wide receiver on that team. They don't plan on bringing him back. They don't plan on on paying him. They don't want him there. Not that they don't want him there, but they're not going to pay him what's going to cost to keep them when they have a Deontay Johnson, who's still in his rookie deal, when they have a Chase Claypool, who looks like the next best thing. James Washington, who's servable enough, and you wouldn't have to pay him a lot to come back. I don't think they have a reason to pay Juju. I think they know that. So not to say that they don't want to utilize Juju this year while they have him, especially as a team that's undefeated heading into this matchup and looking like a team that's a Super Bowl contending team. But they're not going out of their way to feature him necessarily this year. They're just not. 
Now, he missed practice yesterday. It was more of a Veterans Day off. We expect Schuster to play this week. He comes in at wide receiver 34. So he just makes that flex wide receiver three low-end territory cutoff because the volume, to some degree, has still been there. But he's become a touchdown or bust wide receiver three, which is really unfortunate. Now, his talent is much better than what he has shown us to this point. And I do think, to some degree, this gets corrected because I, don't, I think he's too good for what he has shown. Now, I'm somebody who's never been a huge Schuster fan in the sense of when everybody else is knocking down the door of can he be the next superstar wide receiver, I wasn't on that boat. Because there are limitations to his game, especially when he has to line up on the perimeter. But he's definitely a very good wide receiver. He's not just a guy which is pretty much what his production line has suggested to this point, is that you would think he's just a guy if this is the first year that you've been watching Juju Smith-Schuster. But he's a touchdown or bust wide receiver three at this point. That's why he comes at wide receiver 34 for us. Deontay Johnson, we really like, like, like a lot. Chase Claypool, he's also in a wide receiver three range. This is why I question, not question, but this is why I made sure that if you're part of MD Nation, you knew that there was a little bit of a hindrance or a little bit of a cautionary tale, let's say, when it came to going all out for Chase Claypool on the waiver wire. Was he worth an ad and a high value ad? Yeah, 100%, absolutely. I, I never disagree with that to, at any point. But I did make the point that when Deontay Johnson was back and healthy, because he's been getting the volume when that has been the situation, because when that has been the situation, Chase Claypool and James Washington have been splitting snaps, it kind of leaves this eerie feeling in the back of my mind that if you're leaning on Chase Claypool to be this boomer bust home run threat type of option as your wide receiver three, he's going to have a low floor in these games where Deontay Johnson is expected to play. Now, could Johnson get hurt in the first quarter like he has a couple times already this year? Yeah, sure. I don't think you want to count on that when you're heading into your weekly matchups, though. The key that you're looking for is did Chase Claypool finally overtake James Washington? And the fact is we don't have the data to really indicate that one way or another. So far, the data that we do have has suggested that these two have played pretty much the same snaps. And when Deontay Johnson has been out, it's kind of a moot point because then they play through receiver sets anyway. So you have Schuster, Claypool, and Washington all playing anyway. It's a question of when Johnson comes back. Did Claypool overtake Washington? He should have. He's better. He's a better fit for Ben Roethlisberger. He's a better fit for that offense. But that hasn't necessarily been the case yet this season. So I think Claypool can still somebody be a low-end wide receiver, three boomer bust option, and a plus match against Tennessee Titans. Yes, but I'm definitely tempering my expectations. I'm definitely having the back of my mind that there could be a low floor to his game if he continues to split snaps with James Washington as that third receiver when they go 11 personnel. So that's just something to kind of keep your eye on, that I don't think Chase Claypool is not an automatic plug-and-play this week. Just He's not an automatic one. Eric Ebron, he is a streaming tight end, to, uh, tight end for us. He's tight end 14 on the week. He kind of falls in the same mold of the Hayden Hurst, where, especially as of late, the volume has been there where he offers more of a floor than a lot of the other tight ends in that territory do at the moment, right? Of course, he's a guy who has a chance to score a touchdown because he's Eric Ebron, but also he's been seeing about five to six targets a game. He's been more involved the past couple of weeks. 
it's not going to be pretty. You're not going to be excited about it. But again, if you're looking for a tight end who has, you're looking for two things. Do you have touchdown capabilities? And do you have a volume where I at least know on a weekly basis you are part of the game plan? He has those two things. So that comes in tight end 14 for us this week. I think you can stream him over some other options. I, you can, I mean, I would play Eric Ebron over Evan Ingram. We'll put it that way. So on the Tennessee side of the ball, I think the big question everybody has is Ryan Tannehill because he's been so great. He's been a top 10 quarterback. You don't want to bench him even though they're playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We, I do have him at QB 17 for this week. So I know that for some people, that would leave you with the feeling of, oh, you kind of have him outside the streaming territory. We should, we should bench him. This is all about roster construction. All right. If you have Ryan Tannehill, you're probably not in a position where you want to be streaming quarterback. You probably don't want to have to give up another roster spot for a quarterback to play over Tannehill, who you're not going to drop because he has been so good. And while, yes, it is the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense, and I do expect them to get some sacks, I do expect Ryan Tannehill to be harassed to some degree, especially with no Taylor Lewan. Pittsburgh hasn't been as stout against teams' passing games as I think the perception of their defense has led you to believe. Wide receivers have put up statistics against them. They're, they're still the eighth-best matchup for wide receivers. Quarterbacks, they're only mid-territory. It's the running games that they've destroyed. It's the running games that even if you have a stud running back, you have to go in a little bit concerned when playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's what they have been immovable on, but not necessarily the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. And now with Devin Bush gone, I mean, do people remember, like, this defense relies heavily on that superstar athletic inside linebacker. Their defense is built around that. When Shazier went out, what happened to that defense? Now, they didn't have Amika Fitzpatrick back then. That's true. And they have a lot of other good outside weapons. They're still going to be able to get a pass rush. They're still going to blitz. But Devin Bush does a lot of things for this team in the run game. He does a lot of things for them, especially covering the middle of the field with his athleticism. If that's not going to be there, then the area in which the Tennessee Titans operate, which is that intermediate middle part of the field, is going to be a little bit more open than it normally would against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Which is why I don't really worry about Janu Smith, who did practice yesterday, does look like he's on track to play. That's the good news there. And I don't worry so much about A.J. Brown. Who just, you know, he lines up all over the play, all, all, all over the field. Corey Davis, to this point, has still not been activated from the COVID reserve list. Being that we're heading into Thursday, we still haven't heard much about that. I'm going to go on a limb and say that I'm going to lean towards the idea that Corey Davis is not going to play this week. So that means more targets for AJ Brown, more targets for Janu Smith. Adam Humphreys will be worked in. I'm not playing Adam Humphreys against against the Steelers. I'm not going to take that chance especially since Mika Fitzpatrick will be matched up on him majority of the time, I would imagine. But I think you can play all the Titans that you would normally play, including Ryan Tannehill. Even though we don't have him ranked really high this week, I don't think it's worth streaming a quarterback, wasting a roster spot, unless you just have a roster spot to burn. And let's say, you know, a Joe Burrow or a, a, a Matt, let's say a Matthew Stafford, because that's probably a good one. He's probably available in a lot. Like, let's say a Matthew Stafford is out there. And I have a roster spot that I can burn on my bench without giving up anything or dropping anything of value. Then I'll contemplate it because I, I would like to take advantage of Stafford against Atlanta. But if you're looking at quarterbacks that are all in the same territory as far as value goes to Ryan Tannehill, I'm not going to bother because you're going to want to lean on Tannehill the rest of the season as your QB1 and not have to worry about streaming.
So I'm okay with it, even though we don't have him ranked really high this year or this week. Derrick Henry, obviously, you know, top five running back. Even against Pittsburgh Steelers, it might be ugly, but he's always a guy to threat to run in the end zone. You're not going to bench him. But again, like I said before, temper those expectations because they have been very stout, even against elite running backs. They are down their best offensive lineman, but the Steelers are down their best defensive player, in my opinion, and Devin Bush, too. So we're going to see how that battles each other out. But obviously, I don't think I need to say that. You're not going to be able to bench Derrick Henry at any point. We move on to the Carolina Panthers, move on to New Orleans Saints. I think this is a game a lot of people have some curiosities for. They want to watch. We'll start with Teddy Bridgewater. He is QB 14 for us. He is a higher-end streaming option for us. I do expect him to bounce back to some degree against the Chicago Bears. Remember, last week we had Teddy Bridgewater at wide receiver 28. The Bears' defense has been very good. Saints' defense, even though on paper... And my expectation for them was to be excellent this season. That hasn't, that hasn't come to pass. They don't look right. They're not getting as much of a pass rush as they should. Now, Marcus Davenport is back, and, and, and as he gets worked in and gets acclimated to game shape, maybe some of that will change. But they haven't been very aggressive. I expected this team to blitz a little bit more, they, especially with a Dennis Allen-led team. They're not blitzing as much as they have in the past. They're playing a little bit more conservative. Marshawn Lattimore, even though he is a top corner in the NFL, has been a little bit streaky this season. He's been a little bit banged up, too. But he's been a little bit streaky so far this season. I think you can play Teddy Bridgewater and stream him with some confidence in a game that could wind up being a shootout. It could wind up being a shootout. So he's an interesting play. I think he has a high floor coming into this matchup. I think he's good for a couple touchdowns. I think he's good for plus 250 yards in this game. Mike Davis, you have to continue to play him. The only reason I even want to mention him, really, is that Christian McCaffrey, everybody's been waiting. Is there news? What are we looking at? What's the return? Look, as of right now, week eight or week nine, I think, are on the table. We'll see. There's been some talk about week eight, but that was last week. This week, there's been a little bit more talk about maybe week nine. Because the thing about the Carolina Panthers is that Mike Davis, being that he's been so good, you don't necessarily have to rush Christian McCaffrey back. You can wait to make sure he's 100% healthy. And I think that if they have the choice, they have that capability to do so, they might choose to be a little more cautious than they normally would have been with Christian McCaffrey. They might choose to go that route. So maybe Week 9 winds up being more of an option for him to come back. I know that would be unfortunate for the Chris McCaffrey owners out there, but I just wouldn't be surprised by it. However, at this point, week eight should be something considered on the table. And if you follow us on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow, we'll make sure you're up to date on that. We'll make sure you will know exactly when, what's going on through that, you know, through practice next week. Mike Davis comes in for now as our RB13. The big thing about him is that while the Saints are still decent against the run, Mike Davis was so involved in the passing game, he just has one of the highest floors that you could really have out of a running back right now. Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. Anderson, even though he will most likely be the one matched up on Marshawn Lattimore for the majority of this game, Robbie Anderson is a wide receiver 13 for us. The volume is there every single week. He has flourished in this offensive system. He looks like a complete wide receiver. He has the big play capability. 
And because the routes that he has been running, I do believe that he will still be able to get open on Marshawn Lattimore because it's a full West Coast tree that he's running. He's not just going deep. He's not just running crosses. He's not just running posts. They have drags. They have slants. They have hitches. They have double goes. They're letting Anderson run the entire receiver tree, which is why he's been so involved in the offense, which is why he's been getting so much separation. It's why he's become a target monster. He is the number one receiver in this offense in a game in which, like I said, I could see a shootout potential. So D- so Robbie Anderson comes that wide receiver 13 for us. DJ Moore, he's had two nice games now, back-to-back. I will still harp on, I think if you have DJ Moore, you have the chance to sell high on DJ Moore, I think you'd do it. I think you, you go on the back of the fact he's had two games in a row, that his name is DJ Moore. People still buy stock into that. And you try to see if you can sell him for a higher wide receiver two or maybe an RB two, depending on what you need roster construction wise. He does come in at wide receiver 23 for us on the week. But just because he doesn't have the red zone factor, he just has a very low floor. Whereas he has to get nine to 11 targets in this game, I think, in order to make sure that you're going to get a decent game out of him. That's why he comes in at low-end wide receiver, two for us. Now, he's turned a little bit of a corner the past couple of weeks. But other than last week, where I believe he got double-digit targets, the week before, he didn't. He just happened to execute and get that big play. I'm very concerned about DJ Moore and his floor heading into this match against the Saints, even though it should be a good one on paper. That's it for the Panthers. On the other side of the ball, we got the New Orleans Saints. The Saints here, Drew Brees, he's got to be a top 10 guy. He has to be. Great matchup against Carolina Panthers. It's at home. Brees has not played well from an NFL standpoint. He hasn't looked good from an NFL standpoint. But yet, I believe he's still QB 15 on the year. And yet, he's still found a way a couple of times so far this season to get you over 22, 23, 24 points. The question is, do you get Michael Thomas back? And I thought this was going to be an absolute certainty that Michael Thomas was going to be back this week. I thought there was no, no doubt about it. Now, all of a sudden, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. Now, it's not considered to be major. They're calling it a tweak. But it's something that did happen in practice yesterday. So it's a new injury. On top of still coming back from the ankle injury. Which, frankly, if you ask me, I think he still needed one more week to be 100% from in the first place. I still lean towards Michael Thomas finds a way to show up and play on this game, but it's definitely something that's going to be more questionable than we expected it to be coming into this week in the first place now. I know, if you're a Michael Thomas owner, you're ready to lose your hair. I get it. I understand. If you stuck with him this long to this point, you can't move on from Michael Thomas. You have to keep him. You cannot trade him. You've stuck with him too long to all of a sudden turn around and trade him away. Because no matter what offer you get, I don't believe there's anybody out there who's actually going to offer you fair value for Michael Thomas right now. They're going to be trying to buy low. You can't move on. For, even if he winds up, it comes out tomorrow, and you're, you, know, you have your notifications up on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow, and we send you the news that he's not going to play, you, still, you just have to keep him for another week. You still have to just keep him until he plays. Because no one's going to give you fair value at this point. Michael Thomas, if he does play, 
we do have him at wide receiver 11 going into this week. Now, the only reason we don't have him in the top 10 is because it is the first week back. Carolina has actually been not the... They haven't been the matchup that people thought of them early on in the season where it was just all guns a-blazing, you, you throw out everybody out there, they can't stop anything. They've been pretty decent against the perimeter wide receivers. You would still play him, obviously. I'm not saying that. But wide receiver 11, I'm just tempering expectations. I wouldn't necessarily plug him right away in the top 10 his first week back. And now especially if he's dealing with a little bit of a hamstring injury where he's getting hindered by that on top of it. That, that's all I'm saying. But obviously, if he plays, you're playing him. 100%. Jared Cook comes in at tight end 11 for us. So he's somebody who gets right back in that top 12 territory. We expect him to play, expect him to be good to go. Um, and I think they're going to have to lean on him quite a bit when it comes to the red zone in this game. Alvin Kamara, RB1. I, I, at this point, I don't even know. Maybe when Dalvin Cook comes back, but... At this point, I don't even know if you make the argument that anybody else can even be considered uh, the RB1 right now in, in football. The only annoying thing is that Latavius Murray continues to get, what, 15 carries a game almost at this point? Now, that's going to be the interesting thing. If Michael Thomas plays in this game, what are the Saints going to do with the running backfield? Because I feel like they started giving Murray more carries once Thomas was out, and that was pretty early on in the season, obviously. But they started giving him more and more carries and wanted Kamara to kind of play secondary when it came to actually running the ball because they knew they were going to have to lean on him as their actual number one pass catcher. When Michael Thomas comes back, I, I'm curious to see, does that mean Kamara will now get more carries because he's you know he should be getting less targets, that they'll have a, their actual number one receiver come back? Just something that interesting of note, something to kind of watch, because if Thomas comes back, Kamara's targets are, are going to go down. If they don't change up the split that's happening right now between Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara, well, then Dalvin Cook might wind up being the RB1. Not that Kamara is going to fall out of the top three, but just kind of an interesting note that maybe his ceiling gets capped a little bit unless something changes when Michael Thomas is coming out. Just something that I'm going to be watching going into this game, especially if Thomas winds up playing. So we move on to the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets. I'll say this really quickly for the Jets. James Crowder, wide receiver 22. That's your fantasy analysis for the New York Jets. On the Buffalo Bills side of the ball. Oh, I guess I should mention this too. Sam Darnold limited back at, limited at practice. There's a chance he might play this week. Okay, there you go. The Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen. Talk about a sweet, sweet godsend for him to get back on track. After two rough weeks in a row, you get the New York Jets to get back on track, to get back in the top five of quarterback. We have him number four on the week. I think they're going to use this opportunity to get him right because all of a sudden his confidence is a little bit shaken. All of a sudden people are like, oh, wait a minute. Are you, are you really this new improved Josh Allen or, or are you actually the Josh Allen of old? Are you falling back in some bad habits? Are your fundamentals getting more inconsistent? That is, that's going to be the question. So I think they're going to take this advantage, this opportunity to go ahead and let Josh Allen get back right, get that confidence back going, get it back to where it was in the beginning of the year. So Josh Allen... Quarterback four, not that you were going to bench him anyway. Stephon Diggs, wide receiver 12. That could be too low. It wouldn't shock me if he was you know, in the top 10. It wouldn't shock me if he was in the top five this week against the New York Jets with the volume that he's been getting. His floor has been insane because he's just so involved every single week that he has been a wide receiver one that you can just lean on right now. And there aren't too many of those guys. He's been healthy. 
That's been a big factor, especially when talking about, you know, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams. He's been consistent, more consistent than a Tyreek Hill. So that that is something that has been very well, has been very good, obviously, for fantasy owners who have had Stephon Diggs, but something that you know every single week he's matchup proof because of the volume he's been seeing. The only other person I want to talk about as far as who you're going to play this week would be Devin Singletary. He comes in an RB19 for us this week. Even that, I don't feel great about it as having him as a RB2. I don't know why the Bills feel like they can't let Josh Allen do his thing and also be able to run the football. I don't I don't get the I don't get that part. The only silver lining I'm taking out of last week, two silver linings, I guess, when it comes to Devin Singletary is one, the entire offense looked bad. But two, Zach Moss didn't come in and get, you know, fifty percent of the work. It was it was more Zach Moss was his backup at that point. Now whether that was just because that was his first week back from the toe injury, that could be remain to be seen. But Singletary's had some nice matchups when they've actually let him run the ball. Remember a few weeks ago when he had 18 carries, he had a nice game. But if he's somebody who's only going to get 10 to 14 touches total, I don't know what you'd expect out of him. It's a great matchup against the New York Jets. If they let Josh Allen get right, there's a chance that that entire second half almost, or at least halfway through the third quarter, through the entire fourth quarter, they could be up by multiple scores. Devin Singletary might get some extra work in that situation against the New York Jets. I'll take my chances that he'll at least be somebody who's a low-end RB2 that you can plug and play with these heavy bye weeks coming up. Again, don't feel great about it, but he's a quality player in a good matchup who should be getting the majority of the work. We'll see what the Bills do as far as their game plan goes against the New York Jets when they get up by multiple scores this week. John Brown is back at practice. John Brown is very limited. Right now, I don't think you can play him with any real confidence And I don't necessarily want to play Beasley with any real confidence. I I just think the stars of this game are the ones who are going to get a lot of the work here. So Diggs, Allen, Singletary, hopefully. Brown and Beasley, I think you have other options that you can go to because their involvement is very hit or miss. Now, if Brown continues to be limited, well, then Beasley might be that second guy again and be a guy who maybe has a decent little floor for you, especially when you talk about half-point and full-point PPR leagues. But if he's a little more healthy this week and he gets back involved, well, then it could go back to being John Brown, who's a boomer bust wide receiver four option. But it's kind of why I'm staying away. I want to see how this plays out. I want to see where John Brown's health is at. I think you have better options out there than a Brown or a Beasley heading into this week anyway. So we're going to take one last break, come back on the other side. We have a few more games to talk about and then a mailbag segment for you guys right after this. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back, MD Nation, talking about their early Week 7 matchups. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, on your iOS apps. And, of course, presented to you by Belly Up Sports So we're going through all these early window of games. We talked about some news going around the league. We have two more games to talk about before we get into the mailbag segment and close out the show. So these last two games, of course, Dallas and Washington and the Packers and the Houston Texans. We go into Dallas. They have talk about a team that has to get right. Talk about a team that has to find a way to muster up willpower 
They look like they flat out quit Monday night, especially the defensive side of the ball. Flat out quit. And now all of a sudden we have multiple reports, and not to be surprised at this point, especially after that embarrassing Monday night game, about players attacking the coaching staff. Shocker. You mean Mike McCarthy doesn't adjust on the fly? You mean Mike McCarthy is still locked in the late 90s? Isn't this the same Mike McCarthy that we got saw get fired from the Green Bay Packers in the first place? He took a year off to learn more about the game. I haven't seen anything different out of Mike McCarthy or this team than what we saw against Green Bay. Nothing. That includes when Dak Prescott was playing. They have a ton of weapons. This is the best wide receiver core in the NFL. What other wide receiver core are you going to find that has a Amari Cooper, a CeeDee Lamb, and a Michael Gallup caliber wide receiver? The only one I can even think of that comes close is the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a tremendous offense. With Ezekiel Elliott, I know their offensive line is not the normal Dallas Cowboy offensive line. I get that. I know they're banged up. And that's... That is hurting them in a lot of ways because the big thing on that Monday night game is that Andy Dalton was under fire. He was under a lot of pressure. Now, the Cardinals did blitz a lot, but this was a team that was out Chandler Jones. It was without their best pass rusher, their best defensive player. And they still couldn't protect Andy Dalton. Even Ezekiel Elliott, I know everyone wants to talk about the fumbles, but he had 80 yards. But even in that, he still didn't have a lot of running lanes in that game. They were talking about, like, oh, well, they want to lean on Ezekiel Elliott a little bit more. Really? Can they? There's some questions about that offensive line. Andy Dalton will play better. And everybody wants to poop on Andy Dalton after last week, and, and rightfully so. He didn't play well. But this idea that all of a sudden he's 50% of Dak Prescott instead of 75% of Dak Prescott is a little ridiculous. We've seen Andy Dalton have good games. He's always been streaky. It was his first game with a new team with new weapons. It will get better, especially when they get to play in matchups like this against Washington, really when they get to play against the entire NFC East for the rest of the year. Here's the crazy thing. This team is still first place, even though they're 2-4 and four right now. That's the crazy thing. So while this team is down the dumps, they're in prime position to turn it around to at least be somewhat competitive at some point. As far as a fantasy standpoint, Andy Dalton's QB 12. Yeah. Andy Dalton is a top-end streamer for me this week. He is a top-12 quarterback for me this week. It's Washington. It's Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and Ezekiel Elliott and Dalton Schultz against Washington. Will he be under duress? Yeah, the front seven of Washington has a good pass rush. So could it be similar to Arizona in that sense? Maybe. It's also not a primetime game. Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, whatever it is, I don't know. When the lights are brightest, they seem to shrink. It's a 1 o'clock game in the afternoon in Washington. A team, an offense that, because it's Kyle Allen at quarterback, this is probably the one team that the defense might not lose by 40 or might not drop 40 on them. It's the one team that they might be able to stay competitive throughout the game because, you know, Kyle Allen is such a scrub. So this is the perfect get-right game for them. I think Andy Dalton puts up a good game. I think people will not do a complete 180 on him, but they'll realize he's not a bum. He is a very good, competent, especially backup quarterback, but is a starter Is a starter in this league. And can put up some fantasy points for you, especially with these weapons. I expect him to get right to some degree. So he's QB 12 for us. 
Obviously, Zeke playing him RB4 on the week. I think he's going to come out with a chip on his shoulder, especially after wanting to get those fumbles right. After, especially after really feeling like that game was his that he let them down on. I think there's a good chance he comes out and wants to dominate this game. Whether he's able to or not because of the offensive line will be a different story, but I think you're going to see an angry Ezekiel Elliott out there, and that's always scary, especially for your fantasy football teams. Mari Cooper, you play him as a top 10 wide receiver. He has been as consistent as they come. We talk about Stephon Diggs. I think other than one game so far this year when they played against the Giants, Cooper has seen pretty much double-digit targets, has been a PPR especially, uh, wide receiver one. He has one of the highest floors in the NFL when it comes to the wide receiver position right now, and it's a good match against Washington. C.D. Lamb comes in at wide receiver 30 for us, takes a little bit of a hit. What we did like to see was that he had the volume last week against Arizona the same way he's had the volume even with Dak Prescott. And that was, I think that was the question. That was the narrative coming into the game, especially for fantasy football purposes, was, was Andy Dalton going to come in? Was that going to change the rotation, the target volume between a C.D. Lamb and a Michael Gallup? The answer to that question is no. Now, they did make an effort to try to get Michael Gallup going. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But he was still third fiddle when it came to target share, when it came to where you're, where you're at in the pecking order of that offense. He was still the third guy, even though they did make an effort to try to get him going. Is Michael Gallup welcome to Flushtown or send him down to Flushtown? Not quite. He's still in a very good offense. He's still a very good player. And when you compare his volume to other guys that you own, it's about right in line there. But you don't have to own him. That's the difference. I don't want people just dropping Michael Gallup for the sake of dropping Michael Gallup. If you're dropping Michael Gallup for a T. Higgins... If you're dropping Michael Gallup for maybe an A.J. Green at this point, depending on what he was able to do, something along those lines. If you're dropping him for a guy who's been up and coming, then I get it. But if you're dropping him for, I don't know, an Alshon Jeffrey, a Cole Beasley, I'm not, no, I'd rather keep Michael Gallup at that point. So don't just drop him willy-nilly. That's pretty much my point there. But we do have him outside the wide receiver 36 because his floor is too low. So he's not a must play at all. Dalton Schultz comes in at tight end 15 for us. He is in that streaming territory. He's been very inconsistent his usage over the past few weeks. But he is a guy that sees enough looks in this offense that he can put up a decent floor for you if you're looking in that territory. There are guys that have much higher ceilings though to look at for this week. On the Washington side of the ball, I don't know why they feel this infinity that they have to play J.D. McKissick. It's really annoying, actually. But they do. Last week, it was pretty much a 50-50 split. And as long as Kyle Allen continues to be the quarterback, I talked about this last week, they're going to utilize J.D. McKissick in the passing game because they like him more for whatever reason as that check-down guy for Kyle Allen who, who needs that guy. I don't know why. You're a team building for the future. Antonio Gibson has been the guy that you've been harping up all season long. He's impressed me on first and second down more than I thought he would to this point in the year. His specialty coming into this season was supposed to be that he's this great pass catcher. But you have to use J.D. McKissick on a near 50-50 split. To the point here where we actually can think you can play both McKissick and Antonio Gibson this week. We have Gibson in RB22 and McKissick in RB32. 
I'm not going to feel great about it, but when you look at the matchup against the Dallas Cowboys, you look at how Washington has been running their team on offense, especially as of late. You can play McKissick as a flex, especially if you're talking about half-point, full-point PPR leagues. Hopefully that changes because that should be Antonio Gibson's backfield at this point just to see what you got out of him, if nothing else. But he's just a much better running back than J.D. McKissick is. But he's still too involved. Outside of that, Terry McLaurin's a top 10 wide receiver for us. You're playing Dallas. His volume's been great. doesn't matter what the quarterback is. He's been able to produce. I would love to see the day where McLaurin actually gets a legitimate quarterback to see what he could possibly do. But until then, we have to base our hopes on good matchups against the NFC East and the fact that he continues to get a heavy volume. And even though it hasn't really happened yet this year, we know he does possess the speed, the playmaking ability to break one. Although with Kyle Allen, I don't know if that's ever going to happen at this point. But against the Dallas Cowboys, maybe it does. He comes in at wide receiver eight for us this week. That's it. Logan Thomas is not a thing. He's not a streamer at all in any capacity, even against the Dallas Cowboys. He's just, he's a journeyman, and there's a reason for it. So we move on to the last game that we're going to talk about in this show, and that's the Green Bay Packers and the Houston Texans. Like the Detroit-Atlanta game, one of our top possible shootouts of the week, right? Rodgers comes in a QB7 for us. We expect him and Devontae Adams to get right after that tough game against Tampa Bay last week. It's the perfect defense, first of all, to get right against. But also, it's Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. We know what these guys are capable of, and we know that Houston is not capable of stopping them. So he comes in at QB7. Devontae Adams is our wide receiver, too. Aaron Jones is our RB, too, because Houston can't stop the run, either. As they're probably worse at stopping the run than they are the pass right now. So the other one is Robert Tanyan. I, I'm, I'm bullish on Robert Tanyan this week. I have him at tight end five. I think there's going to be so many points put up. Because I think Houston, and we're going to talk about them in a second, I think Houston's going to be able to put up a lot of points in this game too. Because Green Bay's defense, outside of Alexander, hasn't been very impressive to me this year. Really hasn't. And Houston's offense, with the way they're playing over the past couple of weeks, I think are in position to be able to have a good game in this one. That's why I think this is a really great chance for this to be a shootout. But Robert Tanya comes in at tight end five. Last week, even though Devontae Adams didn't have a good game, and even though Robert Tanya wasn't particularly great either, my question going into that game wasn't about the stat line. My question going into that game was, with Devontae Adams back, are you still going to get the volume that you were previously getting to make you a streaming available tight end? The answer to that question was yes. He was still involved in the game plan. Robert Tanyan is a top five tight end for us this week, given this matchup and how many points we expect to be scored. He is somebody I think should be picked up and owned, and maybe he's a low-end top 10 tight end the rest of the season. On the Washington side of the ball, Deshaun Watson comes in at QB8 for us. I like what they've been doing offensively. They've been making the game a little bit more simple, and Watson has been thriving as a result of that. David Johnson, RB10. Green Bay hasn't been very good against the run. Yeah, I know. David Johnson needs to get more involved in the passing game because that was the whole point. He was supposed to have a floor because of volume, not just carrying the football, but receiving the football. The only good news, and I talked about this in the recap show earlier this week, is that Duke Johnson's not involved in that capacity either. So that's that's the only good news there, is that it's not like it's going to Duke Johnson and not David Johnson. It's just they're not throwing to the running back, period. Hopefully that gets corrected, but for now, even if he just gets the volume, gets the 18-19 carries a game that he has been receiving, he should have a good game here against Green Bay. Will Fuller comes in at wide receiver 17 for us on the week. 
So he's he's a wide receiver too. You do have to play him, especially with this offense. He's been the number one guy for them. The problem is, though, I want you to temper your expectations a little bit and have in the back of your mind that this could be a low-floor game for Will Fuller because he will be matched up on J.R. Alexander, who's been the number one corner in the NFL so far this season. While the Green Bay defense hasn't necessarily been great or necessarily been consistent, Alexander has been fantastic. So there is a bit of a floor coming in with Will Fuller this week, but I think you still have to play him in this game. That could be a shootout. Brandon Cooks, however, could be the guy who gets the benefit from having the mismatch on the other side. We have met wide receiver 33. I frankly think that could be too low. I think there's a very good chance he finishes as a wide receiver too. He's been trending in the right direction over the past two weeks, especially with the volume, which is what you, what you really want to see. But he's been finding the end zone as well. Like I said, he's going to have the mismatch in this game. I think they're going to have to go to him a lot in the second half because I think Houston's going to be playing back from behind again in this one. I like Brandon Cooks a lot as a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two, with some upside in this game because he does have big playmaking ability. The last thing I want to talk about for the Houston Texans is Jordan Atkins. He was back at practice. There's a chance he's going to play. Whether it's Jordan Atkins starting or whether he sits and Darren Fells starts, either way, the Houston Texan tight end is going to be a streaming option, a high-end streaming option for you guys this week. We're going off of Atkins possibly playing. We have him at tight end 13 on the week, which makes him a top-end streaming option for you guys. Jordan Atkins is somebody you can go ahead and pick up. That does it for the early window matchup of games. We're going to quickly get through the mailbag segment because we're kind of running out of time a little bit. So right away, we're going to get right into it. Cooper hit us, hit us up. He said, should I stash Deontay Johnson, Cole Beasley, Mike Williams, or Darius Slayton? First of all, what league are you in that you have these options available to you that you can pick and choose between these four particular wide receivers to quote-unquote stash? That's actually incredible. Secondly, it's hands down Deontay Johnson. I, we, I should be known if you listened to the, you know this earlier part of the, today's episode. Deontay Johnson is the number one wide receiver on a very good fantasy-relevant offense in the Pittsburgh Steelers, without a doubt. Darius Slayton, while I like him a lot too, and he would be the second guy for me on this list, the Giants still have a terrible schedule, and they have a terrible quarterback in Daniel Jones. For me, hands down, if you're picking between one of those guys to stash, it's Deontay Johnson, who I think will be a high-end wide receiver too once he's able to stay healthy on a consistent basis. Next question we have it comes from Brooks. CEH and Claypool for Josh Jacobs and Devontae Parker in a trade. Brooks would be trading away Clyde Edwards, Elaire, and Claypool for Josh Jacobs and Devontae Parker. My answer to this is 100% yes. Look, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards, Elaire, you know, rotation. Now Le'Veon Bell is going to be in the mix. We know that Clyde Edwards, Elaire will probably get the majority of the work, but Josh Jacobs is getting 20, 25. 27 carries in a game. He's getting multiple touchdowns in a game. He's still getting about three to four targets every single game. That will not change. And he's more of a touchdown threat. And I would say Devontae Parker, as the number one wide receiver for Miami Dolphins, even though they've switched now to two attack Lavoa, is still more dependable on a week-to-week basis than Claypool is because he's actually the number one target on his team. So hands down, I think you're getting an upgrade at running back and wide receiver. Brooks pulled the trigger on this deal. Last question, Noah asked me, rest of season, Justin Herbert or Drew Brees? This is a good one. This is, this is a good question. It's hard to answer because without having Michael Thomas, I don't think we've seen what Drew Brees actually is this season yet. And being that he's been able to be at least adequate without Michael Thomas, 
leads me to believe that Bree still has a high floor because I believe Justin Herbert is going to we're going to see some regression from Justin Herbert to some degree over the second half of the season. Teams will adjust a little bit more to him. He's still a rookie. He's still going to have those growing pains. And if Keenan Allen goes down, I do believe this offense takes a hit. Now he's supposed to be back, but now all of a sudden we all know this. When Keenan Allen gets hurt once, it tends to happen again. Having said all that, it's Justin Herbert for me right now because they're letting him sling the ball. He looks better than Drew Brees. And the number one factor for him is that we haven't even seen it too much. He can use his legs to pick up yards to create points for you. So when you add that variable in, I think it's Justin Herbert, but I do think it's really close between these two for the rest of the season. That does it for today's show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, come back, same time, same place, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, on those apps is the best way to listen live, watch live. We'll be back tomorrow, 12 to 1.30. To be able to, we'll be able to recap the Thursday night game. We're going to preview the late window of games, the primetime games. So we will be back then. Everyone, make sure you're following us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. My rankings are updated on BellyUpFantasySports.com, so make sure you check that out. We have standard half-point, full-point PPR rankings all lined up for you. So get prepared for your Week 7 matchups. Everyone, good luck tonight, and we will see you all again tomorrow.